Hi, and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Lisa McAdams, it is fabulous to have you on the She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for being my guest today. No, you're welcome. I'm excited to be here. Well, I have to say I've met you at a few of the She's the Boss lunches now and I'm very excited by what you're going to tell us um, because I know you've had quite a full-on journey and then you just told me something a few minutes ago that blew my mind. So let's get into it and see if we can blow all all the listeners' minds. So firstly, let's talk about now. So what do you do now and why are you doing it? Um, Now I work with corporates, governments, not-for-profit, and I teach around the language and behaviour of abuse. Um, And anybody that knows me that knows that I'm quite opinionated. Um, (laughs) And I've decided all by myself that bullying and harassment needs to be called workplace bullying, uh, workplace employer abuse. Yes. Because it's the same behaviours. Oh, so we're talking about managers who are being all snappy. Yeah, and it's the same. If I teach staff. you about domestic family abuse, it's the same behaviours that are happening in the workplace. Yes, of course. And it's probably the same people taking it from home and into the workplace. Yeah. So, you know, and when you say to people, what does bullying mean? Everybody would have different definitions because it depends what treatment it is. And most of it is usually covert. It's not about somebody so screaming. It's undermining. So I teach all around that. I teach them how to support staff going through domestic family abuse, um, how to put policies and procedures and safety supports in place. Um, and I've been doing that for five years. Wow. Oh, I can't wait to ask you all about your journey, but that's not yet. So what I want to know first is why are you doing it? Why, uh, why did you see, what was the gap that you saw in the market? Well, the gap I saw was um, I actually come from corporate. Um, I worked in finance. Um, uh, I was a manager in the finance department for the world's biggest medical marketing company. Wow. Um, And I also went through domestic family abuse and I lost my career because of the abuse. And I know how important the workplace is. The workplace, it offers... Um, financial security, security is a bit, stability, emotional stability, and, and it's your work family. Yes, and it's also an opportunity to get away from home. It's, yeah, it's the few hours where you're not, you know, stalked. Um, and I knew that workplaces had a really big role to play. Um, right. And understanding both domestic violence and the corporate world, I knew I could make those two things mesh and coming from finance I very much talk corporate language yeah which is which is a whole other world I have to say because I don't speak it very much but was there was there something that the straw that broke the camel back for you was there some sort of light bulb moment where you went I have to do this um this will make you laugh this is such a me story I was actually at a, a networking dinner do you remember those days where we used to actually leave the house <laughs> No, what was that? Well, we used to, in the olden days, we used yes, to get I remember them. Anyway, I, I remember them with such affection. With some very high-end women. It was a bit like right. she's the boss here in Sydney. 
Right. And somebody said, we were talking about it, and it was not long after Luke Baddy died. Yeah. And we were talking, and I said, you know, the workplaces have a lot they could do. And somebody, not horribly, just said, I can't see this as a workplace issue. Well, from nowhere, my soapbox (laughs) appeared. suddenly arrived (laughs) under your feet. (laughs) And I was off and running, and then... um, Somebody at the dinner said to me, do you have training around this? And I said, you know, it's something I've been thinking of putting out there. Um, And she said, oh, we'd love to have you, um, you know, in our workplace. And and this never happens. But it turned out she was a partner at EY. And my very first client three months in was EY. Fantastic. So So once I'd got that, it sort of, it went before me. But that is, uh, yeah, that is, I mean, you know, even as, even when you said it to me, I could imagine how it would inflame you. You know, that's not a workplace issue. All right. So now let's go right the way back to when Lisa was a young girl and she probably didn't think when I grow up, I'm going to have a business where I coach large businesses about workplace bullying. So can you tell me how it's all happened, how you've ended up here? Let's start Uh, with, uh, yeah, finishing high school or something, even if you were a little girl and you think that there's some story that's relevant. Well, you're the first person I've told this publicly, um, but I didn't finish high school because I got pregnant. And wow, back in the day, they thought yeah. it was contagious. And if I stayed at school, every girl and I went to um, a Church of England school for young ladies. So you can uh, yes. just imagine how. So I was always playing catch up, which I think in a way was good for me. I went back to education later. So hang on a minute, though. Where, how old were you when that happened? What year would you have been in when ten. you got pregnant? Right. So you finished. So you finished in year ten. Yeah. Well, everybody did in England then, and we used to go on to college. Right. Right. So right. I just so wasn't this is the allowed level. to do so you the did last your O levels and didn't get to A levels. Is that? Yeah. Is that so how it is over there? I, yeah. and okay. then I I went to catering college and. Yeah, you I did, did that with a young baby. Way, but in a way, it was really good for me because it taught me to hustle. So, how did you do catering college with a young baby, or was family? I didn't. Being I lost the baby. So, oh, I'm so sorry. Right. So I lost the baby, but they still wouldn't let me go back to school. Are um, you serious? Yeah, because it was you know very wow. Christian school. Um, oh my goodness! I mean, but I mean, when you're going through all that trauma anyway, to then have them kind of say you still can't go back, it must have yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, confronting. my mum had had a job, you know, since I was little um, in a restaurant and it was actually her boss that gave me a job and it was part-time college, part-time because I was just sort of lost and I, like he'd known me since I was one. I think he was right. very worried I was going to go. Which you so easily could have done. Yeah. Um, so easily. And one thing I learned from that whole experience that, you talk to anybody that knows me, especially my children. I hate cooking. I absolutely <laughs> hate it. And there you were in a catering business. Yeah. Um, but so I went from there and then I, you know, I redid my exams. And then I just always, once I got into finance, I, w- I worked harder and longer than anyone else. Right. And it was the only way. They were all more qualified than me. So I love hearing this because... It's just such a driver, isn't it, for, for, for people, the, the, the things that go on in people's lives and they don't know. I bet everyone else in the, in the class probably thought or in the workplace probably thought, oh, my God, she's such a brainiac and she's just here all the time, not knowing what was actually driving you. 
yeah so yeah so i i've worked really hard and you know my core strength has been my whole career my ability to communicate yeah and my main job in in my big career job was to talk you know to events to creatives to the scientists and accounts none of them spoke each other's language Right. So it was so my job like to talk about budgets and all the boring things, but talk to them all in different ways. Oh, um, fascinating. So so you left school. So was this in the catering company or are you talking I, about? I went the, to catering this? company and then I went, I worked at a, I worked at a school outfitters. Okay. And I got promoted to area manager and yeah. I'd only been there a month. And the only reason I got promoted because I was the only one with a driving license. <laughs> Wow, well, that's I had no handy, idea what I was doing at all. But of course, once I was area manager, I was in charge of you know who's making what profit and who's a hit target, and and then I got a job as a valuations officer at uh, financial advisors. Right. So this finance theme is going all the way through, and this is all in the UK still. Yes. And then my my job I got that was you know my real corporate career the reason I got in for an interview is I worked with someone who then went to manage their HR yeah and on her last day she said to me I'm getting you out of here oh I love her one of the questions I was going to ask is have there been any women that have yeah, been pivotal so, in your life um, but that sounds like important. a few of us all jump ship and I got this job and I was completely out of my depth but and I think you have to be born with it. Tell me I can't do something and you're pretty guaranteed I'll find a way or make a way. Right. And then I was there for a long time and then I moved here. I actually got offered a job in New York, a promotion to New York. Wow, which is which just for anyone that's listening is not as unusual as it sounds in Australia. Because in Australia, we never really get anything. You know, you, maybe you can go and work in Darwin or in Adelaide. But when you live in England, working in another country like New York, which they call across the pond, I mean, it's absolutely amazing. But it's not as unusual as it no, sounds, it was, I guess. Yeah, it so. was a progression. Head what office a, was What there. an opportunity. Did you go? Um, but at the same time, my ex, who was the abusive one, he was, um, he was offered a job here. In Sydney. And guess who was going to get their way? Yes. So, right. And it's important to go right back and state one of the reasons I was pregnant is because I come from quite severe child abuse as well from both my parents. So I was right. messed up but very determined. So when we came here, obviously I'd lost my job, but because I hadn't gone the normal route, I didn't have all these certificates to say employ me. Right. Yes, of course. You've got work experience, though. I've How got did work that experience go? and I did all the things they needed me to do. But it was all a bit ad hoc. We need you to learn this. Can you go and learn about and things like I knew the Nasdaq, but it hadn't been my career. So I didn't know the FTSE and the Dow Jones. Right. Um, so I basically was back contracting when I got here. Um, yep. Fin- finance still though escalated because isolation is one of the things they do to you right um but bizarrely i had my favorite job i ever had i worked for state crime command um here in sydney but i worked in the cash office so like all the buy and sell money and all of you know it was like the most exciting job 
I've ever had. Like you'd oh really? You'd have police officers coming and going. I've come to get the million dollar show money. <laughs> you'd be like, okay. oh really? And I'd pretend it was just you know casual. Okay. So is this like the undercover? You know, we're just going to go and buy you know yeah. five ki- so, ten yeah, kilos of cocaine party. and then nab all the drug dealers yeah, it or was something. Just. And, you know, probably because of the nature of what we did, it was a very supportive workplace, which is what I needed. Right. Um, oh, well, that's good to know. So, um, yeah, I worked there for about a year and we weren't permanent residents. Right. And then they were doing cuts. So my boss knew anybody that wasn't actually employed was on a contract was going to go and she probably wouldn't get the budget back. Right. And she tried everything to get me a permanent job. But my ex obviously wouldn't rush through the permanent residency or even ask because we were on his visa. Because right. obviously and he that didn't was his want control me. thing with you. Yeah, he didn't want me to have a supportive workplace and a good wage. So what did you do? I lost the job and then I, it was good because I lost the job and then I had a baby. Which is lovely. Yes. Um, but how was that? How's that when you're in an abusive marriage and you lost it, it your was job? All, it escalated very, very quickly because I had, I had my son and he was only five months old when I got pregnant with my daughter. So oh, I me. went when I met my ex. I was the one with money. I bailed him out of his debt. I even sorted it out. Like finances is my thing, right? Uh, and I went from that to completely dependent. I had to ask for money for everything: food, nappies. Just no access to money at all. So what do you do? Because this is almost, you're, you know, you said you were abused in your childhood. You're now in a marriage and you're stuck. You've got this guy who will not get you your own visa. How do you even get out of that, Lisa? What, well, what did you do? Luckily, um, when, like, when I was pregnant with my daughter, it was very stressful because we were going for permanent residence just because his company said they didn't want to pay for another four-year visa. Right. So we were doing permanent residence, but then just before I was to have my x-ray to see if I've got tuberculosis, which felt very 18th century to me, but it's one of the requirements, or it was then. Oh, okay. It wasn't that you were showing symptoms and that you might have no, tuberculosis. No, you have to have one to get in, and I had to have another one. And I thought, well, I've been here for years now. If I've got it, it's your fault, but they didn't <laughs> care. <laughs> so just before I found out I was pregnant, and obviously I couldn't have an x-ray, so I, we were put on a bridging visa, but he wouldn't even he wouldn't even contact Medicare to say what was going on. I had no Medicare, um, a little boy and a daughter. And luckily I had my daughter at the same hospital I had my son. And obviously it was only, you know I mean? I'd only left five months yes. ago. <laughs> the, yes. the midwife remembered me and lord love her i said to her i don't have a medicare card and she said well you've just shown me this one and i cried and told her the story and she said we never had this conversation looks to me like you're covered but without her i don't know what i would have done um so yeah and then after my daughter was born obviously i had the x-ray and then i was a permanent resident Right, so at least you knew then that you were in and you could stay if, if anything yeah. happened. But at this stage, were you thinking of trying to get away? Um, I went. Or babies are too young. Well, I, no, I actually left him when my daughter was only two months old. I used the baby bonus that we used to get. Yes, and it was the old you? days I had to keep picking up the phone to see if the money was in because what he used to do is put all of the money on his American Express. So right. he could just use that like a FPOS card. 
but I had no access. So I'm like, if he, if that money hits the account and he finds it first, it's gone. Oh, right. So you so managed to I'm rip like it out. That. And then as spent... soon as it was there, I transferred it onto my credit card and I literally transferred it onto my credit card, walked up the shops. It shows how long ago it was, doesn't it? I'm so old. You had to walk no, to book not. a flight. <laughs> this is gripping, this story. Go on. I mean, so I'm literally I, I literally here. went to the flight centre and booked a flight out of here with both my children and I travelled to England with a two-month-old and a 17-month-old on my own. It was, I have to say, my aunt used to do that over from Ireland. It's like hell on earth, I think. Yeah, there was, there was people uh, older than me, like in their 60s. And when we got to the other end, they'd worked out I couldn't really do baggage reclaim on my own. And this woman said to me, she said, I've been trying to decide from Sydney whether you're really brave or really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and they helped me do all that. But, uh, you know laughing aside as soon as I got home I realized my family of origin was abusive as what I'd just left right and I was like oh my god I'm stuck in this what have I done and the reason I came back is I was and I love being English and I love the English I have of to course. say that as a caveat but we're at this um play group and it literally was run right up from the sea and the, the wind was blowing off the sea under the door and the heating was broken. Right. Now, here, people were going, I can bring a heater, I'll bring some hot snacks for the kids. There, they were going, not my problem. Why should oh. I ring the council? And I just sat oh. there and thought, you would rather be miserable all winter than help someone. Than help each other. Yeah. And I literally phoned my ex and said, I'm coming home. It was that decision because I thought if so I've got didn't... to raise these two babies on my own, I want to do it in a place that gives you a fair go, not a place that says you made your bed lie in it. Yeah, yeah, I understand so, that. But but I'm amazed that you went back to the ex having escaped. I, I, to be honest, I'd been so controlled my whole life. It didn't cross my mind I could do it on my own at right. that stage. And probably one of the lowest points of my life. We lived in a really, we lived in a gated community in, in, really, in Australia, we're talking. Yeah, it was very posh. Yeah. Um, and the door was like a fire door. And like a friend helped us back from, you know, and I was so glad to get away from my family. I was like, oh, thank God. And as she left, the door slammed shut with a real thud. Yeah. And I just stood there and thought, I'm back in the crap I was in three months ago. I've achieved nothing and oh. it suddenly hit me I was glad to get away from him and get home and then I was glad to get back and it just that I was just completely and utterly stuck and he walked up and like he'd promised to do therapy and I just looked at him and said if if you don't change if you don't get help next time I won't be telling you I'm leaving you'll just come home and I'll be gone we'll all be gone and yeah. he laughed and said, where are you going to go? And it was a really weird feeling because I didn't know the answer to that, but I knew what I just said was true. Yeah. And then that was in the January and then things escalated. And by the time I left, um, they were much worse. And your question about influential women, I had a friend called Kim who yeah. I'd known her brother married my cousin. But my mum and my auntie owned a business together, so we were all enmeshed. Yeah. Um, and I was a 
you know, about four years younger than her. So I'd known her since I was about 12. Yeah. Um, and she married a really abusive man. He was horrible to her. And she was always going to leave. I'd just get into preschool and then I'd just get the kids. Yes. Anyway, she had this bad hip and she said, once I've sorted it on his private health care, because not many people have private health care in England. Yes. So she said, once I've sorted my bad hip, I'm out of here. And my cousin said, she's different. She means it this time. And I said, does she? Anyway, her hip was cancer. And when I went home, we had like we called it the Last Supper and it was all of us that known each other. And it was probably the best fun I've ever had because we were all so close. We could laugh at the fact that Kim was going to be dead. And do you know yeah, what I mean? right. it, was, it wasn't yeah, horrible. Yeah. And then there was a moment at dinner where I said something. Kim said something about you'll never be funnier than me. And I said, yeah, but soon you're going to stop being funny and I'll still be funny. And my cousin looked me dead in the eye and she said, well, you're going home. And I said, so she said, you'll probably be dead before Kim. Oh, stop. And then everybody sort of looked at everyone. And anyway, then and being fair to my mum, my daughter was still tiny and needed me to feed. My mum then rung and me and Kim said goodbye on the doorstep. But it was a real goodbye. We knew we would never, ever see each other again. And as she cuddled me, she whispered in my ear. I've never told this story without crying. She whispered in my ear, please don't be me. Oh, Oh, um, you're going to make me cry. Now. So anyway, I the I didn't know, but for three days they'd been trying to call me to say that she died at the beginning of August 2006. Anyway, on the Sunday we were just heading, there was a little beach um, where we lived and we were just heading out and I picked up the phone, it was my cousin, and she said, why didn't you call me back? And I said, I didn't know you'd called me, so he wasn't giving me the message. Oh, he was blocking and yeah, and then she said, Kim died. Um, and it was three days prior that she died. And I said, oh, but he was so angry. And he was like in the lounge room with both the babies. I knew I couldn't annoy him. I was going, oh, thank you for letting me know. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks for your call. And my cousin, being fair, lost it. She said, our friend has just died. And she died married to her abuser. And you can't even tell me you're sorry because you might upset him. She said, what have I got to do? Wait for someone to call me? Will anyone even call me to tell me you're dead? And I said, well, thanks for calling. I better go. And then as I walked out and he said, that was your cousin, wasn't it? I said, yeah. And he said, can I swear? What now? To me? Yeah, you can swear again. Uh, He said to me. Did she tell you about Kim? I said, yeah. And then he looked at me and he said, you better not ruin my fucking weekend whinging about that. Oh, my God. So, so of course, that... I've got two babies I've got to keep safe. So I'm like, ah. and then oh. um, I obviously couldn't keep it together. He made me go to Ikea, like all the things that would stress you out on a normal day. Oh, and then he be... used to do this to me all the time. He said, I've put the money on your credit card. And then I went to pay and he's wandered off with the pram. And, but there's no money on my credit card. So I've got all this Ikea stuff. And then I started to cry. And then he was screaming at me that I was a lunatic. Um, and then he kept saying to me, you need to apologise for ruining my weekend over oh, somebody you hardly ever see. But oh. I tried. Every night he would come home and he was getting more and more violent, more and more agitated. But every time I went to say, I'm sorry, Kim 
didn't matter. I couldn't do it. She'd been so diminished in her life. And she's a twin. And her sister, Tony, said to me, she said, for Christ's sake, Lisa, Kim would want you to keep yourself safe. Just yes. say you don't give a crap about her. I want you to. I'm giving you permission. So I'd work and it just literally like there was a restriction. I couldn't say it. And I found out Kim died on the 6th of August. On the 23rd, we moved into a refuge. Thank goodness. I mean, the I know only that way I... I was going to calm him down was to say I didn't care about Kim and I just physically couldn't. Good. And that time I never, never went back. So what did you do? So you went to a refuge. Yes. That's... What happens then? I mean, you've got two young babies, no money, no family here. How did you, how did you Well, in my keep going? I want to know how you've I ended thought, up. <laughs> give it a couple of years. I'll be back. Um, but no, how do you get I was through lucky because back years? then, I, one, I got a place in a refuge. Right. And, the, and what in a refuge, will they let you stay for a while? They, you're, well, they don't throw you out, but they, the recommendation is you're not there for more than three months because people are. a very because, short amount of time to get on your feet when you've got hardly anything. Well, luckily, I got a safe house. So I was there for three months and then I was in the safe house for another nine. So you got a year of support. Yeah. And what are you doing at that stage for money? Like, are you thinking of going back to work or you're just focused on the baby and trying to recover from this hideous um, marriage? At that time, because literally my daughter was just one. Right. And my son was two and one a half. One and five months. Yeah. <laughs> one Not year much and older. five months. Yeah, bless him. Um, so, yeah, he was, yeah, so they were very little, so... Um, yeah, I just concentrated on recovering. Um, and do you did them a, obviously a massive favour to get out of that, so they didn't have that going on in their childhood. Yeah, well, I had the like I've never important. before or since thought or used the word paradigms in conversation. Like it's just not something you say, is it? No, oh, there's a paradigm. I don't think I use it very often. No, but, but the day I moved into the refuge, um, all the workers had gone home. I don't know where everyone else was, but I was in this hallway. And obviously my daughter was, I was holding her and she was screaming because she can pick up on me. Yeah. And my son was opposite me, literally headbutting the wall because that was better than what he was feeling inside. Yes. And this thought went through my head and I thought, if I've ended up here with these two beautiful babies, I need to test every paradigm in my life. <laughs> Where that come from, I don't know. What is a paradigm? Just a paradigm is the things know. you've been told. What is your normal? Right. So everything I'd been taught, and really it's basically because I'd been taught I was worthless from birth, and I just believed it. But then these same people couldn't see how wonderful my children were. Right. So it so was a crack. I thought, were, well, if you okay. can't see how wonderful they are, maybe you're not right about me. No, right. And it was the sort of Oh, seed. thank God you came to that conclusion. Yeah, so it's, you know, it was, yeah, so. Extremely traumatic. So Extremely. For, I would say for the, the first few years, um, my job was to heal. Yeah. To just work out what happened to me and why and help them heal. I very mistakenly thought, you know, give it a couple of years. She'll be right. <laughs> Took me 30 years to get yes. here, but I'll be able to get rid of it in a couple. I'm still saying give me a couple of years. Um, so, yeah, and then 
literally I went to TAFE to become a personal trainer. <laughs> Sorry, I just, I don't know why that I don't associate you with personal training or the other thing that you're about to tell us, I imagine. But it's amazing. Right, so you got into exercise. That was your thing. My psychiatrist recommended go for it, you know, exercise. But I needed a PT because I had to exercise at such a high level to get the mental health results I right. needed. Oh, is that a thing? I didn't even know that was a thing. So uh, the, yeah. the harder you exercise, the better it yeah, is if for you, you do for real, releasing. Yeah, because yeah. you create more and more serotonin. So anyway, so then I was um, like, I wanted to get my kids into daycare more. And it was actually my doctor that said, if you go to TAFE, um, they can have four days. Oh. And it's $1. I mean, it was like a I think a dollar a day or something, a dollar yeah, right. ten a day. Thank goodness the government comes up with some good initiatives. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was called Jert, I think, or something like that. And I said to her, but I'm not well enough because cognitively I wasn't there. I couldn't concentrate. And she yeah. said, Lisa, you don't have to pass. You have to attend. Oh, what a great thing to say. And then I said to her, oh, and I said, but what could I do? And she said, well, why don't you go and do fitness? She said, because even if you never do it for a living, you don't pass, you'll be, it will save you money. You yeah. can, anyway, so that's what I did. And then I was a PT and it was my first business I started in 2009. I was a PT and health coach. Right. For, well, until I started this business in 2015. Right. Wow. How interesting. So you were a personal trainer right the way through. So what was it what's what was it that made you say to yourself i'm healed enough that i now want to help other people how how did that sort of come about i think because i was just born with the ability to and i'm not actually good at writing them but finding in a metaphor or analogy or in my head at the time yep i'm really good at it but my main motivation was I couldn't see a way back. I was never going to be Michelle Bridges. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I wasn't, right. I wasn't enthused enough. So how um, did you end up with that dinner with those high-profile women? Because, well, because I <laughs> – my life is the gift that just keeps on giving. <laughs> um, I had a heart attack. Oh, my God. <laughs> I almost <laughs> don't want to ask you another question. Is there anything else that I need to know about? So – this is after the PT when you're super fit, you had a heart attack. Yeah, well, I got, um, I don't know if you I've got Graves' disease. Right. Which is a hyperactive thyroid. Right. And because of the extreme stress I was under and, you know, raising two kids and trying to heal them and um, all of those things, I got what was called a thyroid storm, which means your thyroid just chucks out. Right. Loads of thyroid. Um, um, so, but I kept blacking out. Like my heart would have an arrhythmia and the valves would thick. But because most of my clients were older pops, I I just, I sold my clients right. to someone else. With it, not actually them, just yeah. their contracts, because I don't traffic old people. Right. Um, <laughs> I'm I'll make it a policy. <laughs> I don't need a, any little secrets like that. Okay, no, so. So um, I literally had nothing. So I thought, well, if I join this high end group of women my idea was I could get high-end coaching clients right okay. that would introduce me to other clients but of course on my 
you know me, on my third dinner, I'm telling everybody off and that they know nothing. Right. And of course we can change the corporate landscape. Well, well, I mean, it won't change unless people are, do believe yes, that it so, can happen um, and get in and do I, it. I was put with a decision, do I do this? And when I looked at it, I thought, if I go back to corporate, which would have been hard anyway, I'm not going to get where I was because I climbed the ladder by being the first one in the office, the last one out. If anyone said, can you stay? I'm behind. It was me. Right. But with two small children, I was going to be the last in and first out. And also, surely, uh, after that dinner, when that person said, oh, it's got nothing to do with the workplace, you must have got some fire in your belly. You must have just said, I, I just can't let this keep going. Like, people have to realise no, when she that said, can you home. help, I just thought, yes, I can. Yeah. And, like, I'd never given a workshop in my life. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I didn't do training. Why did and she, I was there, and she... the first... One I ever did. It was a two-hour workshop, and thirty-five minutes in, I come to I was on the second to last slide because I was so nervous. I went so quick. I've done that before but, as well. That whole thing of oh shit, I've now run out of content. How am I going to? But then this I just started inventing games, and you know. But I've actually got other work based on someone that was in that very training. Well, I was going to say first. Can you tell me why did the woman at Y and R? think it was a good idea to get you in when obviously nobody does this this was a totally new thing they have they they must have had some experience of it so either someone was bullying or somebody had suffered through domestic violence in there what started to happen I think um you know because it was 2015 when Rosie Batty was Australian right yes and she was amazing for raising the profile people started to talk about it more and they started to realize they weren't equipped yeah um, and then they started to get me in to um, educate their leaders around what do you do, what are the signs. Um, and did you always find that the leaders were pretty open to that? Like, you know, great because it's something that I know nothing about. Or did you find that there were a whole, I mean, I'm assuming that a lot of them were blokes as well, being very reluctant and saying we don't really need this? Oh, there was a lot of... Um, yeah, there's been a lot of, I don't, what's the point? Yeah, and I don't relate to this at all. Relevant? Um, and I remember, I'm not going to say which client I was with, no. but I was with a client and um, they were very high-end people in the training. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, this is all very interesting, but why am I listening to this from some blonde woman at the front of the group? So me being me... Um, <laughs> And I don't know, I don't want to speak for my friends, no. but I don't think they'd put tactful very high up in my <laughs> list of attributes. So I just said to him and I thought, you've opened the pathway. You've yeah. made this about how I look and my gender. Yeah. So I'm here to teach people what that looks like. So I said to him, well, I get that, but I am a subject matter expert and I understand the corporate world. And he said, oh, I said, it's a bit like you. I said, you're obviously a leader to be in this training. You've obviously got a lot of people under you. And I said, but you wouldn't say they they go to you because you're good at what you do. That, you know, it's not got anything to do with the fact that you're fat and bored. <laughs> and everybody just looked at me and I thought to myself, I'm so not getting paid. <laughs> I bet that they probably thought that was quite a refreshing change. Well, well, the people that booked me said, you know, he does it all the time. He said it wasn't about you or domestic violence. He always has to be that. He said you could he could have said short, Scottish, whatever. There's always something. And she said, but no one's ever pulled him 
on what he looked like. And I said, well, I was just trying to show everyone how irrelevant that statement was. But I'm quite, you know, I've been in meetings where finance are there and they're like, why would I care? But I was told I have to be here in that, you know, sitting back, (laughs) relaxing. And then I explained to them how much money I was responsible for. And like, we're going back 20 years and I still had a B instead of an M at the front of Ilian. Yeah, right. And then they sit up and go... (laughs) And I said, you know, us two being the finance people, we speak this language. And this bloke literally looked at me like he'd gone from this obnoxious man to a small boy. And he went, oh, I've never managed money at that level. But (sighs) it's part of why I want to teach it. We shouldn't have to protect ourselves like that in the workplace. No, absolutely not. I shouldn't have to go in thinking, who have I got to take down to be allowed to do my job? No, absolutely not. So talk to me about And it's why... The Why years. I twisted really from, you know, I, I'm trying to find a word that's not pivot because I feel like we've I said know, pivot. I know, change, move, change, change yeah, direction. Why I've changed more to the behaviours and it's a sad thing to say, but I was abused from the day I was born. It's my first language. Nothing you tell me about it confuses me. In fact, when I was healing, I found it really hard if people were being nice, but they didn't want anything from me. Right. And I would think things like, God, they're good at this. I can't find their angle. Oh, God, really? They didn't have one. Right. I thought they were brilliant because usually I'm quite good at picking it. So when you talk about all these languages, they're intrinsic to me. Right. Like English, speaking English is. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. I mean, it's an awful thing for you to have as your first language. But I'm very glad that, you know, these days you don't have to put up with all that abuse. And that your children have to. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't have anything to do with, you know, and there is a high cost. I have nothing to do with anyone in my family. Right. My children don't have a father. I mean, and people go, oh, about recovery and survivor. And, you know, people want you to be in one basket or another. I mean, my my children are coming too. Yes. Their dad doesn't care. And that's, that's never over for them. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's, you know, it's been a hard journey. And I think for me, and I completely respect people that go, I want to forget that part of my life and become a florist. Yes. Um, but for me, it, to have all these skills and not use them would make it harder to deal with my past. Well, I mean, I just love it because when I first met you, I thought, wow, that is such a narrow niche. How amazing. But actually, the more I get to know you, the more and the more I, I guess, am out there in the world talking to people who work with domestic violence offenders. It's everywhere. So it is super important what you're doing and and something that every large business hopefully will embrace. I mean, I, I can imagine that you will be employed till you're about 110 if you're going to keep teaching yeah, people well, about people, this. Yeah, well, most people in my field, their goal is... To not have a job. Yeah. But it won't be in my lifetime. Yeah, sadly. But um, certainly the passing the message out there and getting it out there is just so super, super important. So how has, how has the business evolved over the last five years? I mean, you told us Y&R was the first client. Have you been embraced by all those large organisations to come in and, and teach them? Yeah, I do. I have, yeah, a pretty... Like I just take it for granted the people that contact me and say, can we have a meeting? Right. So you know I, mean? I think I live in this bubble and think it happens to everyone. 
Well, I mean, but it's beautiful and it, and it's very well deserved. So there's no yeah, reason. Yeah, and I am, you know, people that only know me on Facebook don't get that I'm seen as the expert in my field. No. Because my world is in LinkedIn. But right. like somebody from one of the big four banks, she said to me, you were the first person that did it, came in and talked about your story, but made it into a training. She said, now every bugger's doing it. Right. Oh, well, and good. I, well, well, the bit you've heard now, I don't think people are going to, I'm not going to run out of stories before they do. Oh, no, I don't think. And if they've got more stories than me, then they're welcome to the success. They've earned it and they well, deserve it. Well, I mean, it. considering we've only covered, like, what are we? We're only 43 minutes into our chat and you've told me so many. I know that I could probably ask you about another four hours worth of questions. Oh, I haven't told you the, the moment that changed my life yet. Well, well please. Well, I was going to. OK, so tell me. I was going to go. Tell me some pivotal moments. One that changed your life is a pretty good one. So what was it? One week after I moved into the safe house, mm. my friend came round for lunch with her two babies and she had her daughter's my son's age and then she had another one. Yeah. And we were going to make pizza. Um, and then she said, why don't we sit outside? So I went outside to make the table and obviously it was dirty because hadn't used it. Yeah. Anyway, the umbrella cord got caught. So I went up and leant on the edge of the metal table, the glass table and the metal bit. And my friend saw it and she said the glass cracked before anything else happened. But the glass cracked, then the umbrella went and pulled me headfirst through the glass table. Oh, my God. Do, do, are any of these stories ever nice? Go on, tell me what happened <laughs> after you put, went headfirst through a broken glass table. So, but that, if I had to pick something, even adding in having my two children was the best thing that ever happened why? to me. Why? Why was that Because good? I'd never been happy. I'd never been loved. I'd never been nurtured. All I wanted to do from my, as long as I can remember, was to be dead. And I used to wish for an aneurysm or something because there was no way, suicide wasn't an option. I had two babies. Yeah. But no one could blame me and it wouldn't be my fault if I, and I used to fantasize about this. All that went on in my head. But it was almost like the universe was saying, because all the way up to it, like somebody danged my car, I tripped over, like lots of little things happening. And it was like the universe was going, look, you keep asking to be dead, but that's quite final. How about I throw you head first through a table? You can give it a go. <laughs> Just injure you and see what you think. And then you get back to me. And like I was on crutches for eight weeks. And I used to go out to the veranda and look up at the sky and go, liking it down here, just double checking you've got that I changed my mind. Uh, and, and that was the moment that you went from being sort of suicidal to actually I can take yeah, everything. Yeah, and it wasn't even suicidal. I just didn't care about my life. I didn't care about what I achieved or what I did or as long as my babies were all right, I was a non-person. I didn't care how people treated me. There was no point wishing for a better life. But it felt like... Very final. That could have been it. And I was like, I don't want it to just be misery. Yeah. I don't know what being happy looks like. Right. Well, so let's, for the people that are listening and who might be a bit down in the dumps or feeling <laughs> that this is very negative, I have to say Lisa is amazing and is smiling and laughing at me through <laughs> this. Can we talk about some of the positive things that maybe have come out of, of um, this hideous experience for you? 
Well, one of the things I say when people say I've had a ter- terrible life, I lived in Brighton in England right. and moved to Sydney. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, it's not... And like even where I grew up, it was, I call it the House of Horrors, but it looked onto the South Downs, which is in England, a protected natural Beautiful. place of beauty. Yeah. But we live so close to the sea, I could hear it and smell it. So when I went to get away from it all, that's what I did. I opened my bedroom window and saw this beauty and I could hear the sea. Right. So I, I grew up somewhere very beautiful. And, you know, I have two children that I'm changing the difference with yes. them. Like we live in a house and one of the things it did for me. How old are your kids now? Sorry, I should ask. Um, 15 and 16. Okay. Because I was wondering if they had careers, it'll be really interesting to see what they choose. Having a mum like you and they've watched, you know, the Um, struggle through to the world. I keep telling them that Will I Am, because, you know, from Black Eyed Peas, his mum was a single mum and he bought her a house. Yeah. So I keep telling them that. It's funny you should say that because I'm a single mum and I often say to my children, are you sure you don't want to do architecture? or building or something like that because you know hello I'd be really happy to <laughs> yeah my son quite often says I just want to make it you know show you how grateful I am and like a more magnanimous person would go your love's enough and I go well you know what will I am did <laughs> but it's not my whole house but um yeah and I've you know basically I I, I have a good life now yeah I'm great you know it's there's always going to be the losses but, you know, it's I about, don't, you I know, guess like it's I, a, I get to speak, I get to go on the yeah. telly. And it's about, things. I guess, making the best. And I mean, none of us can change um, our past and none of us can really know what's going to happen in the future. But it is about making the best of your situation. And I can't think of a better way, really, for you to to get job satisfaction and everything else than to be able to help other people that may be going through this or going to go through this or no one in the office has noticed that that person hasn't spoken for ages and, you know, is really down or whatever it might be, that you actually are affecting change, which has got to be very rewarding. Yeah, and every day I will get a message saying I've changed someone's life. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We should almost end the interview on that, but I'm still going to ask you a couple of other things. So... I don't actually know whether there is any, I'm going to ask you this question I ask everyone. I don't know whether there is anything left for you to tell me that will fit this, but is there a quirky fact that most people don't know about you, maybe something light-hearted, that, um, that you would be prepared to share? Well, it's not really quirky. Well, it is, but um, as part of my fitness thing, I became a marathon runner. Blind. <laughs> I run the Sydney Marathon and I was a presenter for a long time for the Black Dog Institute. And I used to talk about environmental depression and, you know, from things like that. I went to the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation and the the Gender Centre here. You know, you get the privilege of meeting people where they are. It was just an honour. But they had someone that had worked for the New York Marathon. Yeah. And they said, can we have some spots? So they got five. But the Black Dog Institute, because they'd never done that before, didn't realise that that meant you got those five spots forever. Oh, I wouldn't have known that either. It wasn't just the first year. So they got an email to say, your charity numbers are. And then they were like, oh, my God, if we don't use them, they'll lose them. But I was already and It was the year of the Boston bombing at the Boston Marathon. And I was actually in the gym when that happened. And I thought, 
I'm going to run Sydney again this year. No bomber, and especially growing up with the IRA yeah. and you know, yeah. and what we were doing to them. But in that situation, I was like, no one's going to tell me I'm going to be too frightened to run. And I made the decision then that I would run a marathon that year, probably Sydney. So New York is in November. So I actually had longer to train. Right. And they phoned me and said, would you mind running the New York marathon? And I was like, well, I've got two kids. I've got no money. I've got no one really to look after them. And I was with a client that she'd been my worker at Mission Australia when I was getting back to work. Yeah. Yep. Then she retired and we shared a hairdresser. As you and do. Then she came back as my client. Yeah. So she'd known me for years and I said to her, oh, I wish it was next year because I just can't do it. And she didn't judge. She just said, oh, my God, I've never heard you say I can't until you've really thought about it. And then I'd said, I can. <laughs> I, can I can do this. Anyway, so then... I said I would do it. And the biggest, like, it wasn't the fitness. It was more, well, it is the fitness because most people don't realise the hardest bit about a marathon is not overtraining and being fit enough to start the thing. Right. But I don't um, think it's ever going to be an issue for me. So love it so that you're telling me. So two months into training, <laughs> my ex just stopped paying his child support. So what was tough became impossible and I was about to pull out and I'd you know, gone to a friend to think about how we could raise money. And um, and then I was walking home and one of the, the dads, I was friends with the mum and yeah. I, I liked him as well. But um, he liked it because he was really sarcastic. Like once, like his daughter was really fast and my kids weren't fast. And he was going, oh, Maya was sick because she runs so fast, you know, showing off. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. Went, I said, I said, I don't live vicariously through my children. If I want to run a marathon, I run one. And everyone looked at it like, because he was quite big. and But he was sort he wanted it back. Yeah. And he just, you could see him laughing all the way across the oval. Anyway, fast forward a couple of months. He, I was walking home from my friends to sort of go and send the email to say, thank you, but no thank you. Um, and he pulled over and he said, I hear you're running the new york marathon and he said not many people impress me but that's impressive he's like people go oh i'm going to botswana he said who hasn't gone on holiday who cares <laughs> he said but you and i said to him well to be honest david i said i'm not going um i said i just can't do it i said you know there isn't the money and he said what do you need and i said to him you know the flights have been donated and I said to him I, you know I've got no money for accommodation and I said and I know it sounds I said but there just isn't any money he went is that it and I said yeah and I'll only I said I'll fly in on the Friday and I said and then I'll fly home on Sunday on the Monday morning he said well I'll pay for your accommodation on one condition and he said even if the kids have to come to me you're not coming home till Tuesday you deserve one day off in New York oh my god I love him so he paid for my flights. And the other condition was that I never say who it was. He said, I hate these people that did it. And then they, you have to plaster it. He said, it's between yep. me, you and his wife. It wasn't a secret from his wife. How and gorgeous. he even booked it and everything. Amazing. So, so you've run the New York Marathon. And yeah, and people wait, even for a charity spot, there is a waiting list of 20 years. Some runners never get to run it. And that's probably a good story to say it's always miserable. Like, not many people want to run, but the New York's, the police resistance, like London, because you can't get in. 
Yeah, right. Like and, this year. And you did well, it. Last year, they got 350,000... Applications. ...for 50,000 spots. Wow. So, but I was just asked, do you mind doing this for us? And <laughs> By right the way, to if the they end, had five spots, did they send another four people? A couple of the workers went and then they managed to hang on to them. So right. there was and a, you made it. You did it. Yeah, and I did it. So that's my big quirky fact. I that, think that that's a terrific quirky fact. All right, now we're nearly at the end and I always ask everyone because I'm obsessed with my own phone – um, if they love their phones. So if you don't, if you're not an app person, that's I, fine. I love my phone. My phone is. You do? Yeah, I don't know if somebody. Okay, so the question is, my kids or t- have you got two useful apps for business on your phone? And is there, and, and are you a fun app person as well? If, if which case, what games do you play? But let's start um, first with business ones. Uh, my business ones are um, LinkedIn. Yeah. And Kajabi. Because I, oh. you know, when I'm doing courses, you're doing your courses on Kajabi, an and you're doing it on your phone. That's interesting. Yeah. So, um, and outside of LinkedIn, is there one more? Because I normally say not banking and not social. Although LinkedIn, I have to say, is my fave as well. These days, I chop and change. <laughs> yeah. Well. Um, oh my god, this is so financial nerdy. I like the exchange rate app. <laughs> That's great. You know, you saying that's made me think, and I signed up for Acorn, you know, the little app that rounds off your dollars. Every time you spend money, it just rounds off and puts that extra five cents or nine cents or whatever it is into your bank account. And I'd forgotten that I used that all the time. And and I looked at it this morning and there was $4,000 that I had just acquired since February. So, um, yeah. Okay. So those ones. And then what about funny? Do you play games on your phone? This is embarrassing. Oh, no, I won't be as embarrassing as mine. I'm going to be honest. I like Candy Crush. Oh, my God. That's not the embarrassing bit. I actually have four versions. Oh, so that's embarrassing. So when I run out of lives, I just keep going. Well, so I have four separate games. So what Candy level Crush. are you on? Um, I'm on... On the main one. About 3,500. We are the same. You know, I asked look, this question. Look, I'm not lying. I've got four of them. Candy Crush, Candy Crush, Candy Crush. <laughs> You know why, for anyone that's listening, because Candy Crush only lets you have five goes. So if once your goes are over, I assume you go to the next one. Yeah. Whereas I have it on my iPad and my phone and I finish my five goes on my phone and then I go to my iPad and it gives me another five goes. <laughs> yeah, and then I go through stages where I'll be obsessed. Like, you know, you get that level you hate and I won't use that one for ages. I just love you so much because I have asked this of 40 women now and nobody has told me Candy Crush. And I always end, they, most of them say oh, no, I'm too busy. I don't have enough time to play on my phone. Or when I'm on my downtime, I don't play on my phone. I go, yeah, yeah, right. And then I go, but I'm on Candy Crush and my children are mortified. They go to me, oh, my God, Mum, I cannot believe you still do it. It's embarrassing. (laughs) My son said, you said you were busy. You're on Candy Crush. And I said, (laughs) yes. I'm obviously trying to avoid what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) I don't need But they're the same. Like, I'll go, how can you play that game? And they look at each other and look at me as if to say, judging. Yeah, yeah. When you like that. (laughs) But, yeah, I'm obsessed to the point I have four versions. Well, my other thing is words with friends. So I fluctuate. I can't really go to bed without doing the Candy Crush Five Goes and clear all my word with friends games. And then when I wake up in the morning, they're all there again and I can start all over again. (laughs) 
yes. And sometimes my children only get dinner because I've run out of all my lives. And I think if I go and make dinner, time we've done that, I'll have lives back. Oh, that's funny. Well, I've just started a subscription to HelloFresh and I've got three boys. So they cook a meal each and that means I only have to cook one meal a week. Yeah, well, you told me that before and we don't do HelloFresh, but I've given both my children a a meal now that they cook. Yeah, great, great. And I don't get involved. It's actually really good for the kids, I think, to, to, you know... To know, and for us to know that when they move out of home, they're not all going to be living on two-minute noodles the whole time. But listen, well, my son said he wants to learn. Lisa, what an amazing interview. I have loved having this chat with you, and you are such an amazing woman with what you're doing. Thank you so much. If anyone wants to get hold of you, what's the best way? Um, probably through... Um, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. <laughs> Lisa <laughs> Adams. McAdams. Um, Lisa McAdams, 456. 456, that's your, is that, is that, oh, I'm going to have to go and look you up on LinkedIn as well. All right, well, thank you very, very much. Um, It's been amazing. Perfect. And if anyone in your um, world wants, I've written a book for corporates, which is called Domestic Violence, Changing Culture, Saving Lives. Great. I'm happy for them to have a PDF copy. That. Oh, well, there you go. For any listeners, if you want a copy of this, for your workplace or for your friends or for your employees or whatever, um, then Lisa will give you a PDF book. And it's so. very, I wrote it so my work is, because obviously it's expensive to employ me, but so my work's accessible. So if you've even got a little, you know, community group and you're worried about someone, there'll be information in there that can help you. Oh, wonderful. So I'm more than happy. Well, thank you so much. And I am so glad I met you. And I am so glad I heard your story, even though it's extremely traumatic. And it makes me feel a bit guilty that I think I grew up with a bit of a Brady Bunch family. But I'm incredibly glad that I met you. And I'm so glad you're doing what you're doing. It's really important. Yes. And thank you for telling everyone that I was smiling and laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they would have guessed. You have got a great sense of humour. You'd have to have with my life, wouldn't you? (laughs) (laughs) You would. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'sTheBoss.com.au.